My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. An Erio's original. Hello and welcome to Web Crawlers, the podcast where we do a deep dive into some of our favorite unsolved mysteries. Each week we will introduce our topic, lay out our research and findings, reveal some conspiracy theories, and conclude with our own hypothesis. Who knows, we might even solve the case. I am Allie Siegel. I'm Melissa Stettin. And I'm producer Maria. Webcrawlers has a Patreon to get access to rewards, bonus episodes, shout outs, merchandise discounts. Please go to patreon.com slash webcrawlers. You can donate as little as $2 a month to become one of our bimbo patrons. Also, um, we are no longer doing um, everyday episodes. They're just going to be three times a week. However, uh, if you are interested in getting episodes Monday through Friday, uh, get our Patreon up to $4,000 a month and we will do so. We'll do it. That's a lot of cash, you guys. Yeah, I know. We're Fuck trying yeah, to get it is. Uh, rich yeah. as hell. Yeah. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five... five Am I okay? I just malfunctioned. If you give us a five-star review, screenshot and DM it to us, and we will shout you out on the podcast. Additionally, Erios has a hotline. Insert jingle here. 626-604-6262. It's really been popping off, and we've been getting tons of messages so far, so much so that we had a mailbag episode last week. Yeah, it was a fun time. It, it was, was a fun time. 
was just like an hour and a half of us talking about you guys. So um, keep them coming and we will play them on uh, mini episodes. Melissa, who are our new patrons? We have Anna B, Anna T, Taylor D, Sophie G. Why do these all rhyme? I don't know. It's a conspiracy. Nicole K. Oh, that messed it up. Dylan N. CB88. Poppy F. I love the name Poppy. Me too. Carrie F. Katie N. Brendan M. Sam W. Christian M. And Michael S. Do you want to go down, bud? And you're confused? <laughs> Asher's on your shoulder like a little elf. <laughs> I think he wants to go down, but he's confused. <laughs> okay. Um, now let's get into our main story today, which is also a documentary, no? Yes, it's from the documentary Who Took Johnny? Who Took Johnny, um, which I need to rewatch. I watched it a long time ago and it's great. Yeah, um, it's Melissa, so what is our story? So Johnny Gosh was 12 years old when he disappeared on his paper route in Iowa in 1982. There were five witnesses, but the local police and the FBI horribly mismanaged the investigation. What else is new? Yeah, and what- they eventually declared there was no crime. His mother is convinced he was kidnapped by pedophiles and sold into child trafficking. So what exactly happened to Johnny? Let's, Let's get, get into, into it. it. 35 years ago in West Des Moines, 12-year-old Johnny Gosh vanished from this street corner. Private investigations point to Johnny being taken into a sex trafficking ring. Police never solved the crime. It's one of the most infamous cold cases in Iowa history. So two days before Johnny went missing, on September 3rd, 1982, Johnny and his parents, John Sr. and Noreen, went to a high school football game in their hometown of Des Moines, Iowa. Johnny wanted a snack, so his parents gave him some money for the concession stand, and Johnny was taking an unusually long time to get back, so his dad went to look for him. He found him underneath the bleachers talking to a police officer. Johnny saw his dad, and then... They went back to their seats. His dad didn't really think anything of it. They just thought he was just this nice police officer chatting with his son. Yeah, right. Mm Mm-hmm. A-C-A-B. When they left the game, Johnny even mentioned to his dad. You know what I think it should be? I know it's all cops are bastards, but why isn't all cops are bad? It is all cops are bad, isn't it? I thought it it was all cops are bad. No, it's all cops are bastards. I, I think it's all cops. All cops are busy. Being bad bastards. Google ACAB. All cops are bastards. Well, what yeah. have I been? I've been saying it wrong this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird. All cops are bastards. It doesn't <laughs> really. It's not very. It's not all very catchy. Are, yeah, all cops are bastards. I know. That's why. I said, that's why I think it should be all. Co- all cops are bad. But whatever. Whatever. They need whatever. to workshop that a little. Anyway, so when they left the game. Johnny even mentioned to his dad that he might want to be a police officer someday. So we'll get back to that. So two days later, on September 5th, 1982, Johnny was up around 5.45 a.m. getting ready for his paper route. And Johnny's father usually went with him, but this day he didn't. Because the night before, Johnny asked his mom if he could do the paper route by himself, but she said no. 
But somehow Johnny ended up doing the paper out on his own anyway. How is it legal for, I know that was like a thing, but for kids to deliver newspapers, isn't that like child labor? Uh, no. Why though? Isn't like, don't you have to be like 16 or something to have a job unless your parent, maybe his parents wrote him a letter? Well, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure his parents. And it was the 80s. You could do anything in the 80s. Kids I could know, do but anything. there were still child labor laws. Why can kids deliver? I got a job when I was 13, corn detasseling over the what? summer. That's Working cool. in a cornfield. This fucking sucked. Okay, well, I'm not getting to the bottom of this. Anyways, continue. <laughs> so by 7 a.m., all the neighbors were calling Johnny's parents because they hadn't received their newspapers. Oh. They thought that maybe Johnny had slept in, so they checked his room, but he wasn't there. And his dad went out to look for him and found Johnny's wagon that he used to tow the newspapers two blocks from the house, but he didn't find Johnny. Their family dog, who was usually with Johnny on the paper route, eventually returned home on its own. Uh-oh. Bad sign when your dog t- returns home and you don't. Yeah. So Johnny's mom, Noreen, called the police, and then Johnny's dad went to deliver the rest of the newspapers. And some people question why he did this instead of yeah. searching for his son. But the neighbors were calling nonstop, and they wanted to keep the phone line open in case some important info came in about Johnny, which kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah. And it took the police 45 minutes to arrive, even though the department was 10 blocks away. Yeah, they didn't seem too concerned because they assumed Johnny was a runaway. Um, John and Noreen went to ask their neighbors if they had seen Johnny. A couple of neighbors said they saw a man in a blue Ford Fairmont with a Nebraska license plate talking to Johnny. One of the neighbors, John Rossi, said he saw Johnny giving the man directions, but then Johnny spotted John Rossi and yelled to him if he could help the man with the directions. But the guy sped off and even blew through a stop sign. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple other paper boys out at the same time as Johnny. One of them, Mike, told the police that he saw the guy in the car. He said he shut off his engine, opened the passenger door, and swung his feet out on the curb right where the boys were assembling their newspapers. And he started talking about, where's 86th Street? Johnny turned to Mike and said, I've got my papers loaded in the wagon. I'm scared. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to head home. The man pulled the door shut and started up the engine. But before he left, he reached up and flicked the dome light three times Then he pulled out and left. I wonder if that's some sort of signal. Yeah. Noreen thinks the light flick thing was to signal signal someone else. One of the paper boys said he saw a man walk out from between a couple houses. This man is who Noreen thinks took Johnny. Then the police investigation started. According to the West Des Moines Police Department, they started searching immediately, going door to door and getting detectives. But they were dead set on Johnny being a runaway. The cops were probably in on this ring. So their searches were pretty lazy. About 20 volunteers gathered to help look for Johnny in a local park. But according to Noreen, the police chief, who later got fired, stood on top of a picnic table and yelled through a megaphone that people should just go home because Johnny was a runaway. Cool cop. Yeah. Noreen also went to City Hall to put up missing posters for Johnny, but they said no because it would be a quote unquote downer. Yeah. 
Imagine being like, sorry, your missing kid is a buzzkill. Yeah. Um, two years later, on August 12th, 1984, 13-year-old Eugene Martin also went missing just seven miles from where Johnny did. He was also on his paper route around 5.30 a.m. and left behind a wagon of undelivered newspapers. Witnesses also said he was talking to a man right before he disappeared. Eugene's mother said she believed whatever happened to Johnny is what happened to her son. He was never found. Very similar. Yeah. Two years after that, on March 29, 1986, another 13-year-old boy went missing in Des Moines, Mark Allen. He told his mom he was going to a friend's house, but he never made it there. The investigators weren't certain that this case was connected to Johnny's. He wasn't a paper boy. It's not like these people have like a paper boy fetish. It wasn't the morning, (laughs) and he was never seen talking to anyone. When Mark's mom called the police, they said they'd have to wait 48 hours before declaring him a missing person. That's the first 48, if so you've seen long. that show, it's like the 48 hours are the f- most important part. I don't know what the percentage is, but like if you don't find someone in the first 48 hours. It goes down it, half. It goes on half. Oh my God. Wait. <sighs> hours for That's 50%. So back to Johnny's case. So the police weren't doing jack shit to help find Johnny. So John and Noreen had to do most of the investigating themselves. Noreen told the police that a month before Johnny went missing, they were getting strange phone calls that just coincidentally stopped after Johnny's abduction. Someone would just call and hang up. That's weird. Also, Noreen was thinking about that conversation Johnny had with the police at that football game. Right after Johnny's disappearance, a news story came out about two girls from Des Moines who had been forced into prostitution, and the police department refused to investigate a link between that and Johnny's case. So Noreen called a press conference to alert people to this other case that had happened. And then this resulted in the Gosh family getting death threats to, quote-unquote, to stop making waves. Just because Noreen was like, why aren't you doing your jobs? Why aren't you connecting these cases? And people were like... Telling her to shut up, that's which is crazy. That's so... I mean, obviously, the cops are in on it. Yeah. So, Noreen hired a private investigator named Dennis Whelan. The first thing that he did was attend a child auction in Houston. Excuse you? It's It's probably exactly what it sounds like, Maria. Yeah. American boys between the ages of 10 and 14 were being sold to foreign buyers. The detective had a contact who had gotten into the auction and agreed to buy Johnny back if he was on the block that night, but Johnny wasn't there. And just Holy. as a reminder, like sex trafficking is like a year in prison if you get caught. Oh, right. Yeah, we, we learned that in another episode <laughs> yeah. that it, like it, it you get no so. jail time for... Well, actually, no, that was... I think that was over 18. If you track fi- if you traffic someone over 18, you get like a year. Where do these things take place? Like what did the where where does this auction happen? And if this guy knew that he might be there, then why aren't the police stopping it? I don't know. It's this private investigator guy who said he had a contact who knew, which is like I don't know if he if this is what he told Noreen or if this is what actually happened. Like this is up for debate whether or not he actually went to this child auction and if it was happening why didn't this private investigator alert the cops exactly probably because the cops are like hosting it it's probably like there are some private investigators that are super shady that like just take advantage of people all the time yeah so yeah i mean i'm sure that was happening 
that's for sure happening in some right. places. So there were a few sightings of Johnny. Hmm. In March 1983, Johnny was spotted in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was being chased by two men, ran up to a woman and said, please, lady, help me. My name is John David Gosh. But the men dragged him away. She reported it to the police, but they just wrote it off. After seeing Johnny on TV in a show about child abduction, she was 100% sure it was him. Holy shit. Then in 1985, a woman in Sioux City, Iowa, received a dollar bill in change from a grocery store that had written on it, I am alive, Johnny Gosh. Three different handwriting analysis confirmed it was Johnny's handwriting. That's crazy. And that's also so smart if you're abducted to start writing your name on dollar bills and shit like that. So it gets into circulation and hopefully someone says something. That's a good idea. Holy shit. So then there's this guy named Sam Soda. So in June 1984. Yeah, good name. I was just watching that Seinfeld episode last night where George tells uh, Susan's friends to name their baby Soda. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. He's like, you seem like nice people. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Name your kid Soda. <laughs> it is a cool name. It's a good name, but they hated it. And then George was telling Susan, he's like, well, I'm going to name my child Seven. But then Susan tells her friends and they steal the name Seven. They name their baby Seven. He's like, well, it's over now. It's over, Johnny. Wow. Soda's a good name. Anyway, Sam Soda. Soda's a great name. He was a private investigator. Uh, He contacted Noreen to arrange a meeting. Noreen brought a tape recorder with her. Smart idea. Yeah. Sam Soda said that an informant told him that another paperboy would be abducted the second week of August. So Noreen told the police this and played them the audio but again, they just brushed her off. They're like, what sure, the fuck, lady, dude? whatever. Guess what happened the second week of August? That's when no. Eugene Martin, the 13-year-old paperboy, went missing. Oh, my God. So also, this Sam Soda guy looked exactly like the sketch of the guy in the Ford Fairmont that was talking to Johnny that morning. So how could he have predicted Eugene's disappearance if he wasn't in on it? Also, Sam Soda had a vast knowledge of pedophile rings in Omaha, And he was also responsible for outing a pedophile who worked at the Des Moines Register, this guy named Frank Sikora. And this guy, Frank, he admitted to molesting 14-year-old boys and was given a polygraph test, which concluded that he had no involvement in Johnny's disappearance. Polygraph tests are bullshit. Yeah, they don't, by the way. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. On Valentine's Day, 1988, the Gosh family received a typed letter. It said, I'll never be permitted to return home. They've cut my hair. They've dyed my hair. I look different. Please don't ever forget me. Love your son, Johnny Gosh. That's so sad. Uh, You'd think a red flag would be the kid signing his last name, but according to Noreen, Johnny always signed your son, Johnny Gosh, because it was a family joke. She told him that he didn't have to write his first and last name to sign things, your son, because we knew who he was. The case was cold by 1990, but a child sex ring involving a credit union in Omaha, Nebraska surfaced. A lawyer and former state senator, John DeCamp, said he was representing a client named Paul Bonacci, who was the alleged victim of a child sex ring involving the Franklin Credit Union. That's crazy. In 1988, the credit union's uh, director, Lawrence E. King Jr., a rising star in the Republican Party at the time, Mm -hmm. had embezzled nearly $40 million from the credit union. There were also rumors that most of the prominent figures in Omaha attended parties organized by Lawrence King where teen prostitutes were auctioned off for sex. Mm. Also, like they probably weren't prostitutes. They were probably sex uh, slaves. Uh, No one was ever charged and there was no evidence of these parties happening. But some lawmakers claim the allegations came from reliable sources and deserve more investigation. The Omaha police and FBI refused to look more into it. But some of the accusers said they were prostituted to people higher up in the government like the FBI. Yeah, this is like Epstein. Which Everyone's we're, everyone's in on it. Yeah, we were talking about Epstein like all this morning. We're going to do another mini episode on him. Um, one of the teenage girls said she had to sit naked at these parties where men had sexual contact when men ha- while men had sexual contact with her. Another girl said she witnessed a murder. They both passed polygraph tests, but investigators refused to take action. Coincidentally, one of the men accused, columnist Peter Citron, was arrested on unrelated charges of sexually assaulting two children. It was also alleged that Lawrence King got many of the teens he prostituted from Boys Town, a Catholic home for troubled youth in Omaha. That's so sad. Yeah. So this guy, Paul Bonacci, this client... He was represented by John DeCamp, the lawyer. He said he was a victim of the credit union child sex ring. The lawyer read a transcript of Paul's interview with a psychiatrist that referenced an incident involving a paper boy in Iowa. So the details were eerily similar to Johnny's case. Even the date Paul said it happened was the same date Johnny went missing. Oh, man. So John, Johnny's dad, John Sr., didn't tell Noreen about this. Johnny's mom you and he went to the prison to talk to this Paul guy by himself he asked him if he knew who he was and Paul said quote you look like it can't be the eyes you look like Johnny gosh oh my god so John then hired another private investigator to look into this Paul guy to see if he was telling the truth they did hundreds of hours of interviews 
in which Paul revealed the following. He said a man named Emilio made his living by abducting and selling children, and that Emilio preferred to kidnap kids who were close to their families because he likes to hurt people. Emilio brought Paul to Des Moines to help him abduct Johnny. (sighs) Emilio was the driver of the blue Ford Fairmont. Paul was in the back seat at the time. His job was to hold down Johnny after he was shoved into the car. And Paul said he was the first person to molest Johnny on camera, which he was forced to do. So months later, John finally tells Noreen about this Paul guy. And she wanted to test the validity of Paul's claims. She was like, well, how do you know this guy's not just making this shit up? So they gave him a dozen photos of men and asked him to identify his contact, the guy who was like leading this sex ring. And he picked a photo of the man who he said brought them to Johnny the night before his kidnapping. That man was Sam Soda. Whoa. So he said Sam Soda was like the leader of this ring. Holy shit. So but he was the private invest alleged yeah, the private investigator. Allegedly the private investigator who predicted that that boy was going to go missing in two weeks. Oh, I get it. You get Holy it? You moly. connecting the dots? I'm connecting them. They're all there. Let me draw my line. So what really happened to Johnny? So Paul Bonacci finally told the Goshes what happened to their son. And a lot of people don't believe the story, but Paul had nothing to gain for sharing it because he was in prison already. Right. He said, the day before the abduction, Emilio took Paul from Omaha to a hotel in Des Moines. And Paul said he first met Emilio when he was just a young boy living in Iowa. Then at the hotel, Paul and Emilio met Sam Soda and a man named Tony. At the hotel, Sam Soda showed Emilio a spread of photos of local paperboys and how much money he could make off of each one. So Emilio was interested in Johnny, so he set that photo aside. And then early on September 5th, 1982, Paul, Sam Soda, Emilio, and Tony went to go kidnap Johnny. But Paul was in the backseat of the blue Ford Fairmont driven by Emilio. And Tony's just like another guy who's now involved? Tony's just another guy there, yeah. So Emilio and Paul spotted Johnny... They stopped, they threw Johnny in the car, and Paul was instructed to hold Johnny down and chloroform him. Jesus. Okay. So then an unconscious Johnny was transferred between the two other vehicles driven by Tony and Sam Soda. The men and the young boys stopped to get a drink in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Then Johnny was driven to a farmhouse near Sioux City. Uh, Johnny was locked in a windowless room for at least a week, according to Bonacci, but was eventually transferred to and held captive in Colorado. Bonacci did not see Johnny again until 1986. Paul identified various scars and marks on Johnny's body and also knew that Johnny stuttered when he got nervous. (sighs) And he claimed that Johnny was taken to Colorado at first, but in the summer of 1991... Family friends of the Goshes were dining at a Mexican restaurant in Denver and spotted Johnny Gosh was here written on the bathroom wall. Holy shit. So Paul said that he, Johnny, and another boy were painting their nails and they wrote that on the bathroom walls with the nail polish. And Johnny Gosh was here was written in red nail polish on the wall of this restaurant. So that kind of lines up. Yeah. And Paul had a stash of letters 
which he claimed were sent to him in prison by former members of this child sex ring. The letters mentioned J.G., which Paul said referred to Johnny Gosh. The letters also mentioned Emilio, someone named The Call, and alluded to the abductions of Eugene Martin and Mark Allen, as well as how J.G. was not the only boy we got from D.M., so, according to Paul, the Cull, or the Colonel, was a man named Michael Aquino. He was an officer in the U.S. Army specializing in psychological warfare. He was a lieutenant in military intelligence, and he's a Satanist. Yeah, I was going to say, why have we talked about him before? We've, we've talked about him before. Right. His wife, Lilith Sinclair, is also a satanic cult leader, Michael Aquino. Yeah, in 1969, he joined Anton LaVey's Church of Satan and rose rapidly through the group's ranks. Yeah, so that's who apparently they were referring to in these letters. He was called the colonel in these letters that Paul had in prison. So, uh, so, he, so was also, he was also someone big in the child trafficking ring? Yes, a, 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 allegedly. Ho- allegedly. Hold on one second. I want to look at this real quick. He also, he went to prison. Oh, he did. But not for this. He was arrested for overstaying his visa somewhere. May, Michael Ray Aquino is a former intelligence officer in the police force of the Philippines. He was accused of involvement in a 2000 political murder and more recently oh. was convicted of helping to transmit classified information from the United States to opposi- opposition leaders in the Philippines. Oh, weird. So Paul Bonacci... He ended up getting a million dollars in damages from Lawrence King, the guy who owned this credit union. Wow. And Lawrence King went to jail for 15 years for embezzling $40 million from this bank where this whole child sex ring apparently started. That's crazy. Um, Okay, so is Johnny's dad a suspect? Uh, Since the late 1990s, there have been suggestions that Johnny's father was complicit in his son's kidnapping. No definitive evidence of his involvement has ever surfaced, but Noreen Gosh and others have alleged many instances of suspicious behavior on John's part, but he is known to be deceptive about key facts of the case. One question is why Johnny, on the day he got abducted, did the paper route himself for the first time ever. It's a weird coincidence, and his mom did not want him to. Right. Noreen also said John was acting erratic in the months leading up to the kidnapping. In June 1982, he took Johnny and his older brother Joe on a fishing trip to the Lake of the Ozarks because it might be their quote-unquote last or only opportunity to do so. And when they got back, Noreen's sons told her that John was very evidently depressed. The next month, while John was on a business trip in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, he allegedly called Noreen threatening to kill himself because he could no longer live with it. And she had to make the rally police do a welfare check. So perhaps something happened in 1982 that put John under a substantial amount of stress. Yeah, like maybe he was involved in this whole... I wonder if they were having severe financial problems or something. And oh. um, and then he was like, I need to sell Johnny to make money or something. Or here's an idea that's coming up in my head. I wonder if he was a gambling addict and... He got involved in a bad group of people. He lost a lot of money to weird people who he was in debt to. These gambling people also, you know, had some sort of weird ties to this uh, child sex ring. 
and and John couldn't pay back his loan and they knew that and he knew that if he couldn't pay back his loan they were going to take Johnny. Yeah, cuz he was on this business trip and rally, maybe he was like on a gambling trip. Yeah. Then in 1982, John took Johnny on a day trip to Omaha. Johnny was said to have had a foggy memory of the trip. That's weird. Immediately after the Omaha trip, she and John began receiving these hang-up phone calls every Sunday morning around 1 a.m. Well, that's weird. They continued until the day of Johnny's abduction when John answered not with wrong number as he usually did, but instead gave the caller a series of affirmative responses after Johnny was kidnapped, the calls stopped. Yeah, that's who was calling yeah. their house. Maybe it was like the loan shark or whatever. Who was like, we're going to take your son if you don't pay us back. Yeah. By the way, like I haven't I haven't looked into whether or not he had a gambling problem. This is just like popped into my head. The final alleged inc- incident between Noreen and John had to do with the investigation of Charlie Kerr, who had an Iowa farmhouse where Johnny was said to be held for a brief period of time following his abduction. The county attorney in Sioux City arranged for a month-long surveillance operation on Kerr. One day in 1993, the county attorney informed Noreen that they were about to arrest Charlie Kerr, and she told her husband, believing she could trust him. Later that day, Noreen got an angry call from the county attorney, saying that John had driven up to Kerr's trailer and gone inside to speak with him. That's like fucking psycho, Uh which resulted in Kerr fleeing the area before they could arrest him. According to Noreen, for whatever reason, John went to tip off Charlie about the impending arrest. So the arrest of one of the perpetrators in Johnny's abduction was sabotaged by Johnny's own father, which is highly suspicious. Yeah. I mean, he's involved. Yeah, why would he go and tip off this person who where the where Johnny was supposedly kept for a while? Yeah. Um, Noreen and John divorced very shortly thereafter in September 1993. Yeah, girl, get out. Um, Noreen said Johnny visited her in 1997. According to Noreen, she was awakened around 2.30 a.m. one morning in March 1997 by a knock on her apartment door. Waiting outside was Johnny Gosh, now 27, accompanied by an unidentified man. Noreen said she immediately recognized her son, who opened his shirt to reveal a birthmark on his chest. We talked about an hour or an hour and a half. He was with another man, but I had no idea who the person was. Johnny would look over to the other person for approval to speak. He didn't say where he was living or where he was going. Yeah. So this is like some people have called Noreen like she's crazy. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And like her mental health is deteriorating because she like claims Johnny came over to her house like one night in the middle of the night and visited her and like left. I feel like I remember this though. Didn't they talk about this in the documentary where like, yes. And then she was like, I I wasn't going to ask him to stay. Like I wasn't going to ask him if he needed help. Like I could tell that he was like under duress and that he just wanted to like stop by and yeah. make sure that I knew he was okay. But like, it was clear that he was still in some sort of, and like he was older now, yes. but it was clear that he was still in some sort of like bondage um, and that he, he couldn't get out or now was at the point where like he didn't want to get out or something, but um, whether or not this happened or not, it's who knows, but Noreen like claims that like this happened. Yeah. I don't situation. Know. Um, and then this was one of the cases that helped establish the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Yeah. So this, along with a couple other cases, was like helped to make the laws around like finding kids like good. Strict. Yeah. So one of the theories, of course, is the dad. Yeah. 
because it was weird to for him to try to, to hide the whole Paul Bonacci thing from her. Remember how he like went to the uh-huh. prison to like question Paul, but like didn't tell Noreen for a while. Yeah, that's weird. And for him tipping off Charlie Kerr. That was yeah. weird. Also, Noreen showed the head of the credit union pedophile ring, Lawrence Kings. He had a photographer. He she showed him a photo of John and asked if he knew who it was. The photographer said, "Yeah, I've seen that man in Lawrence's office at the Freder- at the credit union." And he That's recognizes him from from a gay bar in Omaha. Oh my god, this makes perfect sense. The credit union is also is also loan sharks for people with gambling and stuff like that. Right, cuz that guy Lawrence embezzled 40 million dollars and went to prison for it. Yeah, this makes perfect sense. So, yeah, the photographer's like I also saw him at a gay bar in Omaha where Lawrence would recruit his teen prostitutes. So was was Johnny's dad a part of this whole child sex ring? Like this is bad. Another theory is that he just was kidnapped by child sex ring. Also, Lawrence King is Larry King, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, Franklin cover up, Johnny Gosh, child abuse, government cover up, child abuse, Satanism, and murder. Wow, I'm at archive. Dot org. That's my favorite website. Archive. Is it really? Yeah. Are you being serious or I'm no? being dead serious. Archive.org is my favorite website. You can find everything on there. There is this website that's kind of like a Wikipedia, but like for crime. A theory is that Johnny Gosh's dad or said that the guy Charlie Kerr was blackmailing him over illegal gambling. Oh. And that's why Johnny's dad tipped off that guy Charlie Kerr. Because he was being blackmailed for gambling. So that is a theory. I'm psychic. I swear to God, this gambling just popped into my head. I knew it. There's so, like, there's so much info on this case. Like, you could read for hours about this. There's Yeah, just this so is many. like a lot of stuff. This whole thing is just like stuff about like the Republican Party. And they said that maybe Charlie Kerr is one who was calling the house at oh, maybe. 1 a.m. Yeah, that guy Lawrence King went to prison for 15 years, but he's out. But he only went to prison for embezzling money, not for a child sex ring. It's the Franklin cover-up. What's the yeah. Franklin cover-up? Is this is that what it's called? The Franklin yes. cover-up? This it's the Franklin Credit Union. The Franklin cover-up: child abuse, Satan, and murder in Nebraska. There's a whole book on it by John DeCamp. Oh, John DeCamp is the lawyer who represented Paul Bonacci. Wow. So like Satanism, like there's a ton of books about like mind control and Satanism having some sort of like part in this. Okay. This is guy named David Shirtner wrote Rabbit Hole, a satanic ritual abuse survivor story. This book finally is an expose of the surprising participants and unbelievable horrors involving murder, drugs, lavish parties, pedophiles, suspected government conspiracies, and the Omaha gay scene that cast a dark cloud of suspicion over an unsuspecting city. Rich and well-connected members of Omaha's elite carried out unspeakable acts of abuse and even murder on innocent children. David Shirtner was one of those sexually abused survivors forever scarred by the horrible rites performed on him by his own parents and other followers of Satan. I mean, what? So I guess let's add Satanism to one of the theories, but like, who knows? There's so much stuff connected to this case that... Yeah. Like gambling, Satan. This is crazy. It's really crazy. Um, If you guys have like any ideas of what you think happened here, what the deal is, um, 
Melissa, where can people reach us? You can email us at webcrawlerspod at gmail.com. Nice. Uh, and follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon and leave us ratings on... Um, oh, wait. No, that's we'll do that. But also subscribe to us on, um, on Apple Podcasts because that's how we get in the top 200. And we like that when that's that happens. Fun. Um, anyways, I'm Ali Siegel. I'm Melissa Stettin. And I'm producer Maria. Bye. Bye. An Elio's original. Powered by ACAST. 